And I feel like what's really lost sight of is healthy doesn't have a face. We associate one. We think healthy. We think slim fit six pack, but healthy does not have a face. Healthy can look so different on so many people, but we are trained to associate visuals with health and visuals with not healthy. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories, secrets and tips with you. And just before we jump in the interview, I'd like to share first the comment that I received on Facebook page from Oksana about the interview who wrote, I think the project is great, I love it, so much useful and interesting information and for more, as a bonus, you can listen to people, dancers you like a lot, you understand that they are not from the other planet, that they are people like you, you can find out about their life and way, it's all inspired so much, thank you for your project. Thank you, Oksana, for sharing this and uh, thank you guys, everyone who comments or shares uh, the impressions and feedback about podcast i read every single <laughs> message and comment from you and really appreciate so if you like any of the episodes so if you're gonna like uh, this one that you're about to listen don't forget to share directly with your friends on social media or send them as a private message or email or however you usually communicate with them and without further delay let's jump into the interview with amazing cassandra fox Hi guys, so this is another episode of Ballet Dance Live podcast and this is going to be epic episode because I have Cassandra Fox here with me who is a professional ballet dancer as well as Caribbean fusion dance instructor and performer from Coldwater, Ontario. We are almost neighbors with her here. <laughs> and Cassandra is known for her very powerful shimmies super fun and feminine performances and very engaging dance videos that you can see all over internet and social media as well as uh, she's a designer of dance costumes and training outfits so i'm super excited to talk uh, to her today and discuss uh, uh, so many different aspects of ballet dance and her activities uh, welcome to podcast cassandra <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like blushing here. What an intro. That was great. <laughs> that was better than coffee. I'm more awake now. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm sure I probably uh, didn't mention many of other of your activities, but at least try to give some highlights. <laughs> no, that was great. All you forgot was cats. That's the only oh. thing you missed. <laughs> and I believe uh, horses, right? You have... Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. I saw some really awesome uh, pictures of uh, you in ballet dance costume with uh, uh, horses. So it was a very nice photo shoot. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, that was, um, so that's my horse Shadow. I got him when I was 10 years old. So I've now had him for almost 23 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I, one day I was like, I need photos on him. This has to happen. 
23 years? How, like, is it young or old horse? I, I don't know how it's this. He's very old. He's a senior now, so he'll be 25 in July, so he's a senior oh, wow. horse. He's covered in gray hairs now. Those photos were done when he was about um, 20, 1920. Um, Shakira, that's like, if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if I'd have ever looked up the words belly dance if I hadn't been a teenage girl obsessed with Shakira. <laughs> hmm. Just absolutely, um, she's my absolute favorite singer. I just adored everything about her. So I read everything about her and then I read that she'd studied belly dance. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. So then I looked it up and because of where I live, I never found any classes out here. So it just sort of falls to the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And fast forward, I was in university and um, my first access at the time to Wi-Fi, like to high speed internet and YouTube had just come out. So I was able at that point to look up other avenues of belly dance and just see more of it. Like, oh, my only access at that point was still like Shakira, <laughs> which I, you know, I'm not going to get into the debate on whether or not she's actual belly dance. I love her and that's all that matters. Uh, so that was the start of it. And from there, I, uh, I just kept, you know, I was able to see more of belly dance and see, I saw Rachel Bryce and I saw Natalia Strelchenko, who now goes by Natalia Fada, you know, just all these access, Fifi Abdu, Sohair Zaki, you start to see so much more as stuff gets added and added. So it was Natalia's video that I was like, okay, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I need to do that. Mm. <laughs> and she was dancing to Warda and it was just, it was so beautiful. The music was beautiful. She was beautiful. The costume was beautiful. The way she just floated, I was, I was obsessed. So she was my new Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kept watching and watching her and I just kept practicing around my room dancing watching these videos because I wanted to do that and mm. um, it was just a hobby it was just something I did for fun and I never thought anything of it and it didn't really become a dance thing because my family's Jamaican so I grew up with dance hall and soca and reggae and calypso just being part of your social life mm -hmm. you know you just everyone dances just for fun so I always had that part I've always had that love for like movement and music So the one day, I think this was like the turning point. I was early for a physics lecture. And anyone who knows me knows I'm never early for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, was reading this bulletin board for the first time. And I saw that the university had a Latin Student Association, West Indian Student Association, and African Student Association. And I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a West Indian one for like students with Caribbean families or people from the Caribbean. I should look into it. And they were putting on this event and they were looking – for performers and I really don't know why I thought to myself I should go dance at that <laughs> and so I just made a video in my room on like a webcam and sent it to them and they're like yeah come dance on it and then I was like why did I do this oh I see so it basically started for you from following YouTube videos right uh, like as I understood you didn't yeah. have really formal ballad dance teacher 
No. And I, you know, I used to hate admitting that because I feel you get a lot of judgment for it, but that's how it started for me. And that's my story. And if people have a problem with it, they can have a problem with it. I'm sort of at that mm -hmm. point. No, that's great. Like it's different, uh, different ways. And it's interesting to hear the path of person who didn't have like a set, let's say standard or what's considered normal <laughs> way of learning ballet dance is just different way. And, and then it basically took you to performing, uh, publicly already like how long uh, since you first tried to to follow belly dance uh, video till that first performance how long was it few years or was it few months <laughs> it was a really shockingly quick turnover <laughs> i shouldn't admit to but it was like a couple months um but to be fair uh, there's a lot of movement similarity between caribbean dance and belly dance in certain movements like um whining in Caribbean dance is very similar to an interior hip circle or an Omi in belly dance. So I think I had some ability in movement range from just social dancing in my life. Mm. Um, if, so I don't think it was like I was totally new to, to moving. It was just, um, I, I could see the similarities sort of off the bat. I'm a visual learner. So You know, everyone learns differently. I tend to, even when I go to workshops now, there's times when I just sort of try to keep to the back and just watch mm -hmm. because I find I learn better if I just watch something and take it in quietly and then putter around with it later. You know, I feel like that definitely played a part, but it was a quick turnover. I don't know the exact timeline, but I would say a couple months, which is, <laughs> I don't recommend it. How did it go? You know, I, I remember being so terrified so terrified <laughs> um just this like overwhelming like i was a terrible public speaker in school um i got better because i forced myself to get better at it i was like you need to get over this uh but I, i you know i was very uncomfortable with being on stage so i really don't know still to this day why i read that poster and thought i should dance at that thing i think i just deep down still really wanted to be shakira or natalia <laughs> mm. And that urge just was like, I don't want to go to physics. I want to do this. <laughs> uh, so I, I did that. That's awesome. Um, and that, you know, I thought that video is on a VHS somewhere because this is back in 2008. This isn't even, this is like pre-digital. That's on a VHS tape. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, my grandma came and filmed it. I just remember being terrified and, and looking down the whole time. Um, and I just remember feeling like I couldn't breathe and my face was all red. And I thought it was just a disaster, but people seemed to like it. And I got this really nice feedback and I got asked to dance at another event. And to be fair, this little event I danced at was in like a small room with like 30, 40 people watching. It wasn't super intimidating. So I think it was a good starter, casual sort of thing. But it's still 30 people with a pair of eyes, <laughs> each of them. So yeah. if a person who is not really used to be on public, comfortable on public, it was a great step, I guess. Like, And uh, it's really amazing that uh, even despite you being terrified, you still went for it and you did it. And you listened to your first impulse, I need to dance, and didn't overthink, or oh, maybe I shouldn't. You just did it, what you felt. That's awesome. And uh, do you remember the moment that, uh, or maybe not the moment exactly, but the time period that you start thinking about dance as a career and specifically ballet dance as your profession? I actually didn't um, ever think that I would do it as a profession, if I'm being totally honest. I just danced because it felt, at the time, it felt so good to dance. 
it just felt great. And I eventually did get more comfortable with the performing. And I really like that feeling when you're dancing and you see someone else in the audience, like start to tap their foot. Mm -hmm. You start to see them free themselves a little. They're starting to get into it because I know that feeling of sitting there and wanting to move and being too shy to, Mm. (laughs) I know it. So I like when you can kind of coax that out of someone else because it's a very good freeing, like liberating thing. But, um, after like, I guess technically my second performance, I got asked to teach and I declined. I said like, well, I'm going to level with you. I don't know nearly enough to teach. And that would be like the blind leading the blind. I'm just sort of moving around. Mm. (laughs) Um, and the, the the person who had asked me was like, okay, that's fine. We'll go home for the summer because this is when I was in university and think about it and maybe work on maybe, you know, wanting to do that. So I did. And I really puttered around with it for the summer. And then I came back and for the fall winter semester, I was like, okay, let's try this. <laughs> and I remember my disclaimer, any student who signed up, I was just really honest with them. I was like, look, I totally understand if you don't want to be here because this is this is where I'm coming from. And I'm a believer in full disclosure, like people should kind of know what they're getting into. So I just thought I did that, but it was never a thought process. Actually, when I finished school, um, I was having a really hard time finding a job in my field or even in the sciences or even out of field, but I kept getting Mm. offered dance work. And I found that when I pursued that or talked to people or like put myself out there for that, good came of it. And I really loved doing it. So I was like, let's go for it. So it was after school and it was sort of this frustration of a year of job hunting and not having any like success Mm. that I was like, you know what, this feels right. This feels good. And you, you've done, you know, all right. So pour yourself into it. So I did. That's when I, I would say like after that year of finishing school and not finding a job, that's when I really poured myself into it. Cause in your head, you're like, okay, you know what? let's just do this. And I was like, this feels the best for me. I'm going to go for it because what's the worst that could possibly happen. Yeah, so true. And I also keep hearing more and more, I'm getting more into this uh, self-development and podcast world. Like I'm a huge fan of different interviews and I keep hearing people saying over and over again that then you pursue something that you feel good, your body tells you the right way. And then it's just things start happening, like good things start happening and everything gets into places rather than you trying to force yourself doing something that make you not feel good at all. Although we are not talking about this uh, being terrified but still uh, feeling excitement about something, but about this uh, situation that you really don't want to do something and trying to push yourself into it. So great to hear another example of your story (laughs) that you just felt good and you you went for it and it led to to where you are now and inspiring (laughs) so many other dancers today yeah thank you (laughs) so from your first uh vag uh sorry i keep forgetting this uh, vagc or vsgs (laughs) i keep forgetting this uh shortcut for, (laughs) for this video format but since that video till today you have developed huge amount of followers on different social medias and uh, your relationship with social media or internet, if I'm not mistaken, have started with YouTube, right? Yes, it did. Definitely did. YouTube was my my, my original stomping ground. <laughs> what was your motivation or impulse to put out there your first dance video? 
I really don't know. I wish I could get back into that like brain at the time. I was like, girl, what were you thinking? Just like threw yourself out there to the wolves. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I'm trying to get into that headspace, and I think I, if I could go back in time, I wish I had an answer. Looking at it now, I really don't know why I did it. I just did it. I tend to be like, I try to be a pretty logical, like pragmatic person, but every now and then I'm prone to these like super impulsive decisions um, that I just seem to make without rhyme or reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that was definitely one of them. Uh, and I remember after I posted the first one, somehow it randomly started to go at the time, like pretty viral. So I deleted it initially because it was too intimidating for me that so many people were watching it. Mm. And then I eventually re-uploaded it and then I put up two more. And I think one thing that can really intimidate women from posting on the Internet is the response of males. Mm. Going back, I remember feeling like I wanted that's one of the reasons I took it down initially. It was just like, I don't know if I want to deal with that. (laughs) But at the same time, I wanted to... I guess, you know, deep down instinctively, I did want to put my dancing out there. That That's the only logical thing that would make sense for having done it. Um, but that was that was over 10 years ago because the first videos weren't belly dance videos. The first three were just dancing to um, Caribbean music. My very first YouTube video ever was Roll It Gal by Alison Hines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely still love that song and I still dance around to it. Um, and then the next one was Sean Paul. And then the one after that was like Cat the Luna. I remember the music. Um, so it was just move music that I really wanted to move to, mm. like really wanted to dance to. And then there was a pause after that and I didn't post anything for a long time. And then it sort of started becoming the more belly dance and performance stuff. But the first three were like the first three I call the originals. They're like <laughs> the new videos. There's just this re- the reality broken down. They're just. Uh, a kid in university posting videos of themselves dancing mm. around their room. Well, today you post uh, uh, both performance and uh, training practice videos, uh, or it sometimes even feels as you're performing on the video, even if it's in a home setting, but you post almost on a daily basis. So actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask, how is your uh, training, daily training looks uh, today? Okay, so I um, I will be honest. I typically don't train every day <laughs> um, mm-hmm. directly in terms of like setting aside time to do this. I live on a farm, so some days I simply don't get a chance to, mm-hmm. uh, or there's just too much background noise. Like if a tractor is going or something, I just can't get my head out of that like grumbling engine sound, and it bothers me. <laughs> um, But when I I do practice, I try to make it dedicated practice in terms of I really just focus on moving. So if I'm going to practice, I'm pretty inconsistent, if I be honest. Some days I will practice for 30 minutes and other days three hours. It's sort of depending on time available Mm -hmm. and how I'm feeling. As I've gotten older, um, (laughs) I definitely really appreciate that you have to move consistently. So there's more value now I think at 33 years old in moving a little bit every day than doing three hours once a week Mm -hmm. at once so I'm trying to do that and trying to stay on top of my stretching Um, I never was a driller in terms of practicing drilling I never found worked 
overly well for me. That being said, I have students that drilling works well for. So I think you really have to find what helps evolve your movement and your dancing. So for me, my practice structure has always been, you know, in my more developmental stage when I was starting, I was pretty consistent in at least an hour a day. And I would just put on music and dance. That's always been my sort of way of going forward is just let that music play and dance it out, dance it out, dance it out. Um, and then little techniques that I do, if I'll say, okay, today I want to work on this song, I will just improvise to that song like four times in a row. And then I'll start to make a conscious choice. I might stop and watch a couple of the videos and see what I'm doing naturally and seeing how I like it. And then just for variety, I will say to myself, okay, don't do what you instinctively want to do here. Maybe try to do something different and see what happens. So do you record yourself all the time and then rewatch videos? Because you just mentioned briefly right now that you rewatch some videos. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's been a, that's probably been my biggest thing in practice. I don't all the time because sometimes my phone's simply not charged or I don't have any storage space. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I try to practice, I would say, or film 75% of my practice and try to review it, which can get very time consuming, right? Mm-hmm. especially the review part. Um, but I have always said mirrors lie. I think humans are really good at seeing what they want to see. Mm, that's nice. Versus what's actually happening. And in a video, you can't lie to yourself because you can go back and back and back and keep seeing that it's not ha- what you thought it looked like, or it's not how you wanted it to look yet. Or maybe it looks better than you thought it did. Uh, you know, like video is invaluable as far as I'm concerned, filming and then reviewing the videos has been huge. And I try to, I always thought if you treat the camera as an audience, not as a camera, even though yes, no one's watching, you will help get better at performing. So like mentioning that first performance, going back to it, like I said, one thing that I really remember most was looking down because I was sort of so intimidated by this thought of Mm. dancing in front of people, but also really wanted to do it. Um, so forcing myself to look at the camera and treat it as a person was a way that I pulled myself out of that. That's nice. That's interesting. I use a lot of video recording uh, too in my practice, but it's interesting thought I need to bring it into my practice that treat cameras and audience because whenever I record sometimes it's for me usually to check the techniques and then I see like why my face is like this. I don't really perform like this. <laughs> but on those training video recordings, it's always very, I don't know, um, emotionless, let's say. <laughs> um, yeah. That's nice. That's interesting. Yeah, you have to sort of create it for yourself because you know there's no people there they're not giving you Mm -hmm. anything back like when you perform for a crowd hopefully they give you some energy back they're giving you a reaction they're giving you something back but when you do it just in this like little camera hole you get nothing back Mm. and you post now a lot of your uh training videos online and sometimes we see you in training outfits sometimes in costumes is it dancing at home in costumes, is it something that you do specifically for videotaping and putting later online? Or is it something as a part of your uh, regular practice, just for whatever other reasons? I would say both. It started out to be, I figured if you're going to spend all this time making something, you'd better test run it before you take it out in public. The last <laughs> thing you want is a costume malfunction. And I jokingly, the first time I posted a practice video, And then I ended up going very viral, Um, not the first time, but one that I had done because I said to myself, it was my first time making this style of costume. And I was like, you know what, if it can make it through a seven minute drum solo, it can make it through anything. So I practiced that in it. 
And then that became like a habit because it does really help you tweak. Like I've had costumes that, you know, thankfully that practice pointed out some issues that needed to be adjusted and fit mm-hmm. because putting on a costume and standing in it is a very different from dancing a full 30 minute show in it yeah true and i i always try to move through because you know no one no one wants the costume malfunction i mean they happen anyway because that's just the nature of life and accidents and thread rots and you know fabric fray or tears like stuff does happen for sure uh but you know you, you want to at least think that you tried your best to avoid it <laughs> Um, and then also too, it's like a nice thing. I think the more you perform like every weekend, it's really hard. Well, for me, I guess everyone's different. I'm in an isolated area. So everyone performs a bit of a drive, um, you know, to have someone to give up their night to come and film you. And, you know, as I got older, I was less inclined to ask people to do that with their time because I know how valuable free time is or time to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I just was not getting, you know, really many performance videos or the footage wasn't usable because it wasn't good enough quality or the sound was off or something, but you still want to keep sort of like a log of your dancing and your development. So I was like, well, I'll just dance in costume for myself sometimes if I feel like it. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think what happens to us when we dance professionally is sometimes we forget to dance for ourselves. I started doing this dancing for myself mm. um, and I never want to lose that it feels good to dance just for myself. Yeah, that's nice. And I think we can get caught up in, you know, wanting to achieve this, this and this and that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great, obviously. But I also think that, you know, it's it's good to come back to just dancing for you as well, because I think for most of us, that's what got us started. That's so interesting to hear because uh, this is something kind of recurrent theme with many different artists that I'm talking to, that there is, whenever we switch to this professional mindset in ballet dance, we sometimes lose the connection to dance and uh, forget our initial reason why we start dancing at all. So it's interesting to hear another way to reconnect uh, to dance and the way you do that you first of all put the dances for for you first of all and uh, you're doing it for yourself and having fun and uh, I don't know just following whatever you you feel you want to do that's uh, that's nice to remember and uh, from time to time being reminded sometimes <laughs> yeah and I think one thing that really motivated me to keep posting practice videos is I was noting this noticing this sort of like opinion and it's it's not an an opinion out of ill intent I don't think for a second it's just an opinion out of you know not knowing more about it that when people see only the finished product of us as belly dancers we have to admit we're a dance genre that's not taken very seriously by many mm-hmm. you know by, by the general public um and there is a, sometimes this prevailing like thought that you know you just put on this beautiful costume and you flounce around and it's relatively easy And if people, all they're constantly seeing on social media is, you know, the pre-show photos where we look our absolute best, um, these beautiful costumes, this this beautiful performance, then I was like, well, why don't we also show what goes on behind the scenes, the really sweaty practices, (laughs) Um, the sweaty after show photos. Just And I, I thought that, you know, maybe people, if they saw that, would realize that it's not an overnight thing. It doesn't just happen. It's not as simple as just putting something on and flouncing around that a lot of work goes into it. 
I like to see behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, I like to see how stuff is made. I like to see what goes into it. So I think that's maybe why the idea appeals to me because I personally, personally am interested in seeing that in other things. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, you know, this would be a good way to show people that, you know, progress happens by getting back to the dance floor and, and plowing through it and working through it and sweating through it. You know, all these flourishes, these costumes and all this, this comes later but the meat the meat of it that's like frosting what's frosting without like the actual cake underneath Mm. I mean it's still good don't get me wrong I love frosting but I like frosting and cake together better (laughs) (laughs) ah that's so true (laughs) I don't know when exactly YouTube came on the scene and uh, I'm not sure when you started your uh, YouTube channel or just putting videos online but I assume if you mentioned that your first uh, public performance was 2008, so probably around, I don't know, seven, five years at least of YouTube live too. <laughs> yeah. Over these years, uh, did the did you notice any changes in the uh, internet community that follows you? Um, I would say that it's a different demographic, just to answer the last question first, between Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, there's definitely crossover. Mm-hmm. Like there's people that follow on all three, but I do feel like they are separate communities. I used to be more active on YouTube. And I think that's just because it was my predominant dance social media. So I'm friends with dancers now on Facebook that I've actually now met in person and, and gotten to know and, you know, your friends with that I initially met through YouTube because we were both there, these little noobs posting our first videos mm-hmm. sort of deal, trying to, trying to learn to dance. And I would definitely say there's a difference, but I feel like there's this, you know, as a new platform comes up, when I started, I would say that YouTube was, for me, more popular than Facebook. And you'd meet other dancers on YouTube, and then you connect on Facebook. And then I think Facebook evolved and 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 took over from YouTube. I, don't, I post a lot less on YouTube now, um, but I also wonder if that's just a time factor, you know, when you're a student and then post being a student, you're still looking for a job, you have more time for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think having the time to put into your social media helps. I mean, sometimes I think to myself, I should, I should post more. I should be more active on, on YouTube. Um, cause I'm at a point with it now where I rarely read the comments, which is also for my sanity. Uh, <laughs> can't, can't go down that rabbit hole all the time, mm-hmm. but I definitely feel like there's a difference between the three and that they've changed. I haven't been around YouTube enough lately to know how much it has changed. I see. And uh, in your recent experience, do you find that uh, feedback or audience reaction, let's say viewers reaction is different on uh, Facebook or, and on YouTube and possibly maybe Instagram now, because uh, there is one is more towards dance community and another is more like general community. No, I I think, I don't know if I'm just lucky, but I found I've gotten majority good feedback on all three. Although I do think they are different communities. I think you get more interaction with other dancers on Facebook and Instagram, whereas YouTube's definitely more general public. Mm-hmm. That was a good question. Yeah, I think, I think that's how it goes through. And I would say in terms of other dancers, probably Facebook the most than Instagram, but I could be wrong. And you also briefly mentioned about comments, and that's another hot topic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and even your first video that you were intimidated by 
uh, specifically man reaction on it and you even took it out and you probably deal with a lot of uh, um, I don't even know how to <laughs> to describe it but internet uh, let's say um, different things yeah uh, and how people react on videos do you see any common let's say trends or any observations or any comments that you would like to put out about this um you know i think it definitely thickens your skin and i don't mean that in a hateful negative comment way i think in a way of just you know other people's baggage isn't yours um so I, that's probably my biggest frustration with it and why I'll kind of go pay phases where I'm not super active on my social media because there's this like mental burnout of having to go through messages and inbox to find actual inquiries that girls from girls or even men who are potential students or who are legit interested in what you're doing versus just like thirsty men and dick pics and like you, you post something for sale and there's someone in your inbox going if you sell your dirty panties and I found that very mentally taxing for me because I've it's this frustration of you're trying to run a business and you're trying to be a professional and you have to deal with this onslaught of unprofessional stuff coming your way and it's just for existing the truth is when I've spoken to other dancers um, they don't even have to be dancers that are posting a ton of videos or pictures and they're still getting this experience yeah, absolutely. I can, uh, uh, I know on my own example, like on my own experience, I keep receiving uh, some strange phone calls at 3, 4 a.m. from, I don't know, random countries. So I have always my phone yes. off because now it's so easy to find someone's phone number if you're a professional dancer. It's everywhere on like website, is social media, as well as uh, tons of messages or comments. But I have much smaller following than you and I can only imagine what you are dealing with. So how do you usually deal with... Uh, Either you can decide to focus more like negative, uh, in general, negative messages, or uh, is it the private messages, or specifically negative public comments, possibly? Because I assume probably people, there are people who love and, and share their love and appreciation to dance, but there are people who just want to poke and just find something to comment bad. So um, I'm sure you probably deal with it too. So how do you process it so it doesn't really get to you and doesn't stop you from doing what you do? Um, I'm a super stubborn person. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. if there's one trait I have, it's I hate being told what to do. So if anything, someone telling me that I suck and I should stop just motivates me to do better. So that's never really been... A hard part for me like hateful comments haven't gotten to me in the way that dealing with this sort of um i guess you could call it toxic masculinity this oversexed masculinity has that's probably gotten to me more mm. um but the hateful stuff i mean for me it's always the same thing so it just gets boring like the number one hate thing i receive is that i'm fat or i need to lose 20 pounds or i'd be so much hotter my dance would looks so much better if i was just thinner um and I just don't care. <laughs> mm. I really don't care what this person thinks of my body because uh, it's mine. <laughs> and I don't need their validation or approval. And they're entitled to their opinion. I'm always like, if you want to see a skinnier body dance, there's no shortage of them. There are amazing slender dancers for you to watch. I encourage you to go watch them and support them. Uh, I don't know why you're wasting your breath on me because I'm still going to get up and dance tomorrow. So. So that's the number one thing. So I guess it gets monotonous. Like, 
you just get to this point where you're like, oh no, someone's calling me fat again. So what? It's just the monotony of it. And, you know, logically, when you look at it, like, why does it matter, A, if I'm fat, or B, whether or not this person likes that I'm fat? Like, those are two things that don't matter. You're not pretty. Great. Why are you here then? Like, either you're here because you like my dancing and my work, or you don't. Mm. And that's what it comes down to me. So whether or not you think I'm pretty, whether or not you think I have the right body type, not really relevant to me in the grand scheme of things. I'm just like more or less happy to be here. So <laughs> um, that's really how I, I deal with that. And I encourage any girl who's hearing whatever her body type is. And that's the reality of it. I've been 20 pounds thinner. Um, and the irony of that for me was when I was at, uh, at my lowest, I was probably 25 pounds smaller, maybe close to 30, but I was sick at the time. Uh, and that was a real big eye opener for me. I had fallen asleep at the wheel driving home twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was lucky that that didn't end more like end badly for me. I, you know, I was, I, I, what did, you know, it came to head when I was starting to faint. Um, and to hear all the time, oh, you look so amazing. And I could barely make it through a show. I felt like when you put your car, like your car, your foot on the gas pedal and your car sputters and stalls. Mm. That's how I was feeling. And then these people telling you, oh, you look so amazing. What's your secret? <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> I don't have a secret right now. I feel like crap. Um, and then to be at a point where I feel very healthy and my body is moving so well and doing so much to be like, it looks better when you were thinner. And then the irony of this is too, at that smallest weight for me, I was still getting called fat. So it starts to lose its meaning. And plus, personally, I don't think fat should be a bad thing or a bad word. It should be a descriptor like blonde or tall or short. Um, we have these synonyms of fat equals laziness and, and you know, fat equals uh, slob-like or, you know, unfit. And it's simply not the case. Uh, physiology is unique for a lot of people. And I think we need to keep an open mind on it and really focus on how do you feel? Is your body able to do what you want it to? You know, how are you feeling with what you're eating? That's when you need to make changes when you're not feeling good. Mm. Um, so for me, health is very much paramount. I know what it's like to try and dance through being sick, and it was awful. So if you have a problem with how I look, it's not so relevant to me as long as I'm feeling good and I feel like I can do my job. It's so refreshing to hear that you are talking and emphasizing the uh, importance of health, first of all. Uh, because it's either way slim or curvy doesn't really matter like it's first of all the main importance should be your health and how you feel and then how you look or how other people feel think about or think of about you or your body or anything like that because um in my own experience, I'm coming from slightly different background, which of course uh, influence uh, your mindset and your approach to to dance and to uh, requirements, let's say, to professional dancing. Like I'm born and raised in Ukraine, in Soviet Union, yeah. post-Soviet Union country with very strong ballet school. So we are used to very thin athletical bodies on stage. And it's sort of a requirement that, uh, oh, if you're a professional dancer, you need to look fit and good and I even remember then I was uh, starting my dance journey a little bit more serious than just a hobby but starting just doing it in a group like professional dance group and we had uh, 
um, situations that our director was just telling girl like, okay, I like how you dance, but you need to lose weight if you want to stay in this group. I'm not talking about student troops, that's different, but it was a professional group. Yeah. And yeah, of course, it was unpleasant for everyone, like the situations, but it was not questioned. It was like, okay, that's the situation. So she either needs to uh, lose weight or to leave the group. Like that was sort of like... Not pleasant, but that's reality. Yeah. And then, then I came to Canada and I found that in North America it's much more open to uh, accepting different body types as a professional dance performers, yeah. which is very interesting for me. But then I start noticing that, okay, it's very beautiful and it's interesting how open-minded the society is. But very often I found opposite that this talks about self-love and self-acceptance is sometimes sort of a excuse of just covering simple laziness to actually take care of you and in this regard i'm talking about health taking care of health whatever it means yeah. body or mind so and it's very nice interesting and refreshing to hear that you are actually talking first about uh, health and how this makes you feel uh, whatever body shape or um, mindset you are right now it makes you feel good and that's absolutely amazing and I think a lot of uh, uh, specifically women but any people I think regardless of gender they sometimes forget that visual is just visual and it's yeah. <laughs> whatever visual goals you have doesn't necessarily make you happy it's first of all needs to go from internal of your health whatever you need to do either maybe get a little bit more curvy or maybe get a bit slim but it's first of all about health so how do you find this uh, i don't know if you can sort of separate where is the uh, self-love and self-acceptance and where it can be just sort of uh, laziness or not believe that you can uh, get to a better place, whatever you, it means for person. Well, I think I come at it from a different perspective. I actually, my, when I was in university, I was studying nutrition and nutraceutical sciences. Uh, so it's bio, it was basically biochem and the, the look, not necessarily biochemistry. We'd take some biochemistry, but it was making products um, product development for natural health products. And so obviously a lot of human health and nutrition courses. Uh, and I feel like what's really lost sight of is healthy doesn't have a face. We associate one. We think healthy, we think slim fit six pack, but healthy does not have a face. Mm. Healthy can look so different on so many people, but we are trained to associate visuals with health and visuals with not healthy. Um, and I think society needs a reset and people need to open their mind. I'm also of the mindset, like I'm pretty, um, let people live their lives as they choose. So I'm of the mindset if someone wants to be lazy and their laziness is leading to their unhealthiness in that specific instance, then that's sort of their right. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I mean, like you only get one life, you get one trip. And if that's how you want to spend it, that's how you want to spend it. I know how I feel when someone tries to tell me what I should be doing or how I should live my life. Um, so I try not to do it to others. Um, but I do think that if you're like, if you're not feeling good and it's bothering you, then you do need to make a change. If it's not bothering you, then what's the point in making a change? But if it is bothering you, then you need to, or you should address it because it feels great to feel better. <laughs> It feels 
amazing to feel better. Um, you know, and, and with the body love and the self love stuff, having seen it, you know what? I like to support other dancers online. And if there's one thing I can honestly say is watching other dancers or seeing their stuff and seeing the comments they get, it really doesn't matter what body type you have as a dancer. Someone's going to say something bad about it. Hmm. If you're skinny, you're too skinny and you don't have any curves or you have no boobs or you've got no hips or this, that, and the other. And that's a problem. A belly dancer should be curvy. And then sometimes you could be the curvy dancer in here. Like you should be less or there's too much to shake or it's just jiggle. Like it's, People just say stuff to say stuff sometimes, you know, without even knowing what they're talking about. So if you can do what you want to do and you feel good doing it, I feel like you're on the right path. And the reality is like you have to find what foods agree with you. Like for me, I'm in the process of doing elimination diets because I, I deal with indigestion and it's not always obvious foods. Like obviously deep fried foods impact indigestion, but also for me, cabbage does too. Just plain old cabbage. <laughs> mm. I have a hard time with it. Iceberg lettuce. I have a hard time with it. So it's not always the foods that we assume to be healthy or unhealthy. You know, the unhealthy ones are pretty consistent. Like if you deep fry anything, indigestion's on the radar. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's it's not necessarily like we would all think of cabbage or lettuce as health foods. Mm -hmm. But for me, iceberg lettuce is is a a guaranteed gas issue. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what I'm talking about with feeling good. And it's not necessarily what our perceptions of, of health are. And you really have to pay attention to your body and how you feel. If you don't have the energy to get through a practice, then you should do your best to address that and work on how can I get more energy to get through this practice? You know, maybe you're not, maybe you're not getting through practices because you're having glucose crashes. You know, a sugar crash will knock you on your butt hundred percent. And then there's mis, you know, uh, misconceptions on people think like, oh, I went to booster juice and I got a smoothie. It's super healthy. Well, if you just have fruit packed in your smoothie, you've just like you're you you may have set yourself up for a sugar crash depending on mm-hmm. what your metabolic needs are. Yeah. But we associate fruit as healthy, right? So it's it's really on a case to case basis, and I feel like the whole health industry and in turn, you know, fitness industries or um, performance industries like dance would benefit from having a more open mind case to case perspective, because as I said earlier, the most important thing for me is health doesn't have a face and health is also a privilege. If you are someone who has um, chronic disease, then you see health as a privilege and you know, healthy is relative for you. And we have to take that into account with people that they're going to do, do the best you can with what you have Hmm. within your realm. And I think that's the best way to move forward. Like, Even if, you know, say if you suffer from chronic back pain, you might always have chronic back pain, but perhaps you can make lifestyle choices to help alleviate. And those lifestyle choices may be specific to you and your condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess a health journey is uh, so individual and just everyone needs to not just follow whatever fancy trends or whoever said uh, to them something to do or not to do. They just need to find what really works for them. And it's, uh, of course, uh, the matter of educating yourself and just uh, digging more into this topic, but also sort of try and arrow and see what works for your body specifically and what doesn't, regardless of what other people say you should or shouldn't do. I mean, except of uh, general, like... Uh, 
common sense yeah. <laughs> principles like f- less fries <laughs> or, yeah. or something like that but uh, for other things uh, that's so individual and also all these uh, stereotypes about uh, different body types and uh, health and specifically how um, professional dancers should or shouldn't like they are also very connected to all the stereotypes that we think about around uh, femininity. Yeah. And this is something very close related to belly dance. All the belly dance have a lot of uh, different aspects and uh, faces, yeah. <laughs> let's say, like joy, humor, drama, sadness, whatever. But uh, the common like, and recurrent theme that we keep talking is uh, the femininity. What is this word means for you? Femininity for me? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good one. And I'm not trying to scapegoat the answer. I just, this is based on my experience. I think for me, femininity is a mosaic. And if I was to say it for me, it's, it's everything. Like when I think of femininity, I do think of women and I think of women's strength of women's softness of women's power of their vulnerability. And I think, so I guess, yeah, I could define femininity for me as being able to show all of that, um, the vulnerability, I guess, to show it all, to show your strength, to show your, your power, to show your softness, to show your kindness, to show your compassion, to show your joy. I, I think of that as, as femininity for me, just asked on the spot. And I, I feel like that because, you know, I think women are the most at this point, and there's reasons for that and obviously exceptions to the rule, but Probably because they're allowed to, to feel more, but women women show what they feel more. Mm. And and there's a bravery that goes with that. And I associate that with, with femininity to, to to be who you are in that moment fearlessly. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what it is for me because I was raised by strong women, you know, and I and you when you watch women like mothers, like we all, you know come into this world via a mother, regardless of a relationship with one. Um, but if you're, if you're fortunate to know that, that those women who have been through so much and have done so much in the face of more adversity, like right now, there's never a better time to be a woman for me. You know, I'm white, I'm in North America, you know, I'm I'm ticking a lot of good boxes. It's never been a better time. (laughs) Mm. Um, and I have to acknowledge that, that sense of privilege and how I, you know, I've, you know, I've got the best case scenario of the scenarios. And I saw that my grandma maybe didn't, you know, she was mixed race and she was from a self-sustaining farm in Jamaica, born in 1926. And she went, she went through that era where, you know, there's a stigma for divorcing your husband. There's a stigma for being a single mom. There's a stigma for being a single working mom. Mm -hmm. And she dealt with all of that with such a sense of grace but also like an indignance. And I really admire that at one hand, she was this total woman and and beautiful and soft and and sexy and all these things. But on the other hand, she was fierce. (laughs) She was absolutely fierce. That woman could not be backed into a corner. And if you tried, you know, she, there was only, there's only one way out of a corner (laughs) and that's going through whatever is holding you there. And so when I think of femininity, I think of that essence of women well, I think a lot of what you described about your uh, 
relatives we can see in you by your activities even although they are very different format now <laughs> you see more of the social media yeah. but it's still this uh, approach that uh, uh, you're soft and graceful but at the same time strong because uh, dealing with all that uh, let's say trash that internet can bring it's uh, you need to be a hardcore <laughs> And still see good things among, among them because, um, I mean, I kind of feel we are coming back to this uh, previous topic of negative comments, but how often we feel that something, one negative thing can overcome hundreds of positive things and just stick to us. So seeing you being so positive and uh, enthusiastic about uh, social media, despite everything that is actually happening there it's uh, really really encouraging and uh, I actually would like to ask you we already talked about it but for all those uh, uh, women who I know a lot of um, girls and women struggle with uh, putting their first videos online I even experienced that a couple months ago I was doing an Instagram challenge then we asked actually people to film and put these videos online and quite a few messages that they are very uh, afraid of it or some actually posted and then like message like oh I'm so terrified because of the fear of feedback that they can get from general people who they don't even know never would meet in their lives <laughs> yeah. but they're still afraid of it so how to keep staying yourself and doing what you want to do despite all the fear that you can have around people's reactions on it like there's two for me I separate there's two kinds of and I say in quotations negative comments they're negative comments that are personal attacks and that's what I count as a true negative comment and then there are negative comments that are actually just constructive criticism mm -hmm. so I have a hard time counting constructive criticism as a negative comment because chances are at any point in your dance life career even when you're professional no matter where you are you're a always still a student and b there's probably always something that can get better um so I always consider constructive or like comments that are negative about the dancing because maybe they're seeing something that I don't see because they're looking at it with fresh eyes. So I think you can actually use that as a tool on something that needs to be worked on. And I know, you know, when we're insecure about something and we know something needs work, we don't like hearing it from someone else. We don't want it to be confirmed. <laughs> mm, yeah. But we, we need it to sometimes. And you just sort of have to like, you know, tilt your chin up and be like, yeah, I know that that needs work, better work on it. And then there's also stylistic things that you have to decide if it feels genuine to you, maybe you don't want to change that. So just as an example, one thing for me that I got feedback on that was mixed, either people, it's, it always seems split, it, either people loved it or hated it, um, was how animated my face is when I dance. <laughs> and it, it, like I said, it's split. Some people found it too much or it's too distracting and others absolutely love it. I would say the majority mm -hmm. have liked it, but there's still those who are like, I can't stand it. Um, and I decided for me, that was a very genuine part of myself in my dancing. And I didn't want to lose that. And I respect that if you don't like it, it's not your thing. You don't have to watch it, you know, go watch someone who's more in line with what you want to see in a dancer. But I was not prepared to change that. I decided after I thought about it and mulled and I watched and I was like, no, that's me. That's, you know, and that's, sort of where you have to sort of really decide between perfection and genuineness. And what is perfection? In art, perfection is going to vary from person to person. 
I don't think perfection in art exists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think what motivates a lot of art is expression, not perfection. Um, Having to say something or express something or get something out there. So that was one, just as an example that, you know, I could have made the choice that, okay, maybe I should change that so more people like it. But I was like, no, man, I like it. (laughs) That's, that's me. And that, that came out of a very genuine place that that was never practiced or something that I thought like, Oh, I want to do that. That was just something that came out and I want to keep that. Um, but versus like another example would be someone's, you know, at at one point on YouTube, um, you know, someone pointed my left T-Rex arm, which was very much an actual technique issue going on in the first couple of years. The left arm was just sort of T-Rexing in the background, you know, (laughs) the arm stuck to you and the hand flipped down. And and that's not being hateful. The arm was T-Rexing. It needed work. Like, (laughs) got to work on it. I'm proud to say I don't T-Rex nearly as much anymore. Knock on wood. So (laughs) that would be dealt with. And then true negativity for me are personal attacks. Like, this sucks. You're ugly. Okay. Bye. Um, And and I think having a realistic view, not everyone's going to think you're pretty. Do I personally think they needed to say that? No. I thought they're being mean. They're trying to tear you down. Mm -hmm. But when someone's trying to tear you down like that, they're dealing with their own baggage for whatever reason. Um, And I just let them deal with it. Like, okay, I'm ugly. So what? So for these, if you're having, if you're struggling with posting that first video, I think if you're honest with yourself about what needs work on it and that you want to improve and that negativity is a guarantee at any point, as is positivity, you know, you just, you ride through it. It's like going out on the ocean. You might get some waves. You have to, you have to flow with it. <laughs> mm. um, I feel like, you know, take that step if you, if you want to and really give yourself the chance because you'll grow more and you'll get to interact with, with other dancers. Um, but I think the most important thing is that you do it for you. If you do do it for validation to sort of, um, I guess, placate some insecurities, you may be setting yourself up for your insecurities to get worse. So I think maybe you have to look within and find your motivation for it and wonder if you can handle it going the wrong way. Mm. I have experienced being, you know, like roasted online <laughs> when I first started, when I was new. The forums used to be a thing. Remember, like Buzz and Belly Dance forums and those those were things. Mm-hmm. Um and I was, you know, totally new. It was within my first two years of, of dancing. And there was a thread about me and my fusion. And some of the criticism in there was very legit. Um, And at the time, you know, looking back, if I'd have just read it and cried and thought they were being mean and bullying me and stopped dancing, I wouldn't be where I am. I read it and I cried. True story. Uh, (laughs) And then I read it again. And then I did some research and I tried to educate myself and I talked to the people in there. And I'm actually friends with some of them now. Hmm. You know, you have to take it in consideration where they're coming from. Do I agree with everything they said? No. Do I agree with some of it? Yes. And also, like I said earlier, me being me, you know, I I talked about it. I learned about it. And in my head, I was going, well, I'll show all of you. (laughs) Hmm. I was like, I'm just going to get better. Watch. Wait. (laughs) It's sort of like defiant to that. But in order to get better and to show them, you have to hear what they're saying. Hmm. And, and try to understand it. So I, I've experienced that. And it's really hard to see. And like I said, I cried. I was like devastated. I remember sitting there shaking and just being like, oh, my God. And I read it again, like a sort of like self-punishment. <laughs> and I tried to defend myself. But then, you know, you learn through these discussions. And 
you know, there's, there's a lot to gain from them if you can pull the positive from them. So I did it once one time a couple of years ago, and it feels like it's the same now. I did sort of like I tried to figure out the percentage of negativity I got to positivity. Hmm. And going on what you said when you're like one negative comment can seem to overpower hundreds of good ones. And, you know, my negativity that I receive is like less than 5% of total comments and messages. Mm. But people, even people going through comments, focus on it. So someone scrolling through your comments, I'm always impressed and amazed by the amount of people who will jump to defend you when they see a negative comment. Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah. But it, it's funny that even people who aren't directly involved can get fixated on the negative comment, even though that they just scrolled past 50 positive ones to get to that one negative one. And you have a choice to say, why does that negative comment have more value than the positive? In, in theory, they have equal value. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I know I'm not perfect, so maybe there's some truth in negativity, but I just want to focus on the messages that tell me, like, uh, good stuff, like, hey, I used to be really insecure about my body, but being UCB, seeing you be so comfortable in yours has helped me to feel better about it. What's a better message to read than that? Like, you're helping someone else mm-hmm. live their life more fully, hopefully. Yeah, that's so true. And I heard uh, some time ago one sort of exercise <laughs> of uh, how to get out of this loop of focusing, first of all, on the negative comment that they can overcross everything that women... I don't remember what exactly the talk was about and what was her field, but she was struggling a lot with the same problem of YouTube. And YouTube, in my own experience, it's by some reason much more mean than Facebook or Instagram, maybe because on YouTube you can do uh, anonymous uh, profiles, so it's yeah. not really you're doing it from your first name. So people are more i wouldn't say brave but um nasty i guess like because that's such comment is not yeah. expression of bravery for sure but they are more uh jumping on to post something negative but the woman was saying that she decided to do ex- exercise that she's not gonna react or reply to any negative comment until she reacted and replied to every single positive comment that she had and it just gave her a picture of how much actually positive things happening in the world and how much positive things we get as a feedback to whatever art or, I don't know, personal or business expression we put out in the world, we still will get much more positivity than negativity. And it just was an interesting exercise to sort of think how to limit the impact of that single one <laughs> yeah. unpleasant comment not to overcross everything good that we uh, experience from other people and they are seeing our, our activities. So. Yeah, that actually sounds like a, an excellent exercise and that's a great tidbit because I think that would help a lot of people. Yeah. Well, Cassandra, I think feel we can talk hours and hours <laughs> with you because we just get into such deep and interesting topics of like social media as well as self-care and health and all those stereotypes that it's like a deep ocean we can dig and dig <laughs> more and more yes. uh, but before I ask you our final podcast question can you please tell people well we sort of talked already but still uh, can you please tell people what's the best way to uh, find your activities to follow your dance scene where you are the most active uh, right now as well as if you have any upcoming uh, trips maybe to other cities or some project that you would like to share with us today 
Oh, yeah. Um, I will. Thank you for asking. That's very nice of you. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Cassandra Fox Dance. On YouTube, the same handle, Cassandra Fox Dance. Um, <laughs> and Facebook as Cassandra Fox. Um, I do have a trip to Texas coming up the first weekend of July. I will post info about that on Instagram. And then one um, to Washington State in August. And I will post the info about that. I don't have it on me offhand. And, of course, because I lost my phone, I lost a lot of my stuff. Um, so I've got to redo all that. I'm not super active on any of them right now just because I'm trying to get myself back together after the phone loss. Because when you lose your whole phone, you lose your SIM card, your contacts, everything. No, I did not have cloud or Google Drive. I now know that I will have that in future. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. lesson learned I learned a valuable lesson it's fine now I know better going ahead um, but you can find me there on any of those I would probably say I'm more active right now on Instagram mm-hmm. I really do enjoy Instagram I love that you can do hashtag searches mm-hmm. like if, if you just want to see more and it's like the most random things like hey I'm considering this sewing machine I want to know more about it you can put in the hashtag of that sewing machine and you can see people who already own it and maybe just harass them and be like yo what do you think of it how is it do you love it do you recommend it mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I do really appreciate that aspect of Instagram for sure it's like instant to connect on a topic so yeah come find me come talk to me and then I will post the info on where I'll be later this year um, and I do offer private classes on Skype and I am working on some video tutorials for costume making if people are interested I'll be posting those hopefully at some point I definitely put all links in show notes so for people it's easier oh. to connect with you uh, oh thank you and I also know that you have uh, I'm not sure about regular, but pretty often shows in uh, Blue Dot. Oh, Blue Dot, sorry. <laughs> Blue Mountain. <laughs> Blue Dot is the name of my ensemble. <laughs> I meant Blue That's Mountain. So Blue Dot. <laughs> yes, I do. I am a, I'm the house dancer at Tholo's Restaurant in Blue Mountain Village. So that is about an uh, hour and a half, two hours north of Toronto. I'm going to be honest with you. Traffic, it's two hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Google Maps might tell you, like, an hour and 45 minutes, but if you hit traffic, two hours. I've tried to do that drive. Um, it's about two hours north of Toronto, up along Georgian Bay shores. It's beautiful, um, and I'm there most weekends. Just call and confirm to ch- check that I'm there that particular weekend. I'll usually post about it if I'm not going to be there for a weekend, though, if I remember to. Um, but I'm there every Friday and Saturday night and Sunday of long weekends. And if you have a private function there, you're able to book me for that as well. And I'd love to see you. That's supposed to be a very fun show, Friday, Saturday nights. You're welcome to get up and dance with me. Let's make it a party. <laughs> so if anyone uh, ever visiting and uh, having a trip or vacation to Blue Mountain, don't forget to check Cassandra's show there. <laughs> yes. Um, Come dance with me. Have wine first. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we always finish uh, our podcast with the same question. And are you ready? <laughs> Yes. So the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? The syncopation of movement and music. I find that Arabic music has so much variation and so much depth to it that it's hard to get bored with it. It genuinely is. There's like... There's so much that goes on with it. There's And there's these subtleties and this nuance 
And then that translates right over into the body. We don't have these big, huge movements and backflips and that, but we have this subtlety and this nuance that we can do the slightest little isolation, this little movement, this acknowledgement of the slightest little hint in the, in the music or the feeling of the music in general. You know, we get to translate that. And I feel like that, that keeps me there because it's like, I don't know, I, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> you hear a new song, you're like, oh, oh. And like, you can listen to a song a hundred times and maybe the hundred and one time, just hear a little something different at one point that you never noticed before. And you're like, oh, how long has that been there? And you're like, obviously the whole time, genius. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and, just, <laughs> and then outside of that, you know, I kind of realized this just this past weekend in BC as a belly dancer in my specific area and most of the bookings I get, I'm rarely on stage. I am generally on the wedding dance floor or in the round, as they call it, on the restaurant dance floor. I'm very in an interactive space. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I really, really, really love that. Mm. <laughs> I love that I'm like a foot from the person's face because they can see you and you can see them. There is that connection. And even if they're not enjoying it, I guarantee you they're still feeling something. And, and, you know, art should make people feel not necessarily good or bad, but make them feel and think about something. Mm -hmm. So when you see you've challenged their comfort level, you've done that. <laughs> you know, when they're having fun, when they get up, they, you know, they throw back that glass of wine. They're like, okay, I'm doing this. And they get up. You know, I really, I love being on stage too, because it's your own space and you feel like you get to present something then. But I realized like a big thing for me is I like the connection of music movement and humanity, like, and people, which is weird because I'm introverted and I spend a lot of time alone. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> yes, I can spend, an, an, you know, a disturbing amount of time alone not talking to anybody and be fine with it. So maybe that's why, like, as an introvert, because I give away energy um, performing, I do genuinely enjoy it in that context because you get a lot of times an energy exchange. Mm -hmm. and I get to, I know I have a set time of that energy exchange. I know I got, I've got 30 minutes of it. It's a 30 minute show. I have 30 minutes of energy exchange. Mm -hmm. um, but I really love that. And I think that that is something that is unique to belly dance and to Caribbean dance as well, is that interactive quality to it. So in addition to this, you know, rich music and this different movement that's so internal, you also have this connection quality to it. Mm -hmm. And it gives you that chance to, in a moment, not get, it's, it's like you feel you get to notice someone, even though you don't, you get to share a moment with them. Yeah. And you'll stay in their memories. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but yeah. <laughs> but you'll be there. <laughs> exactly. Uh... It's, you know, it's not my job to say whether I should be there good or bad, but I'm there. They're going to be like that one time we're at this restaurant and doesn't this half naked broad come dancing out, shaking all their stuff. <laughs> You know, you know, you're their story and they're like, we were so horrified, but you're still in their story. Or sometimes it's like, you know, we went to see this belly dancer and my daughter thought she was a princess and she got up and danced with her. And we have these photos like there's some the, the stories really vary, mm -hmm. but you, you still get that connection and that sort of passing impact or influence or joy or fear <laughs> or whatever emotion overwhelms them when you come out fear does make me laugh a little like you know I don't take it personally because if you think of if you'd never seen a belly dancer before and you're just sitting having dinner and all of a sudden one appears you didn't know what was going to happen you're like what's going on why is this happening what what's going to happen 
you know, I, I can understand and empathize with their discomfort of being like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just wanted some, you know, like chicken. What's happening? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um Cassandra, thank you so much for taking your time today to be with us and uh, being vulnerable and uh, honest and just awesome as you are and as we can see through your videos, but now we can also hear through your voice that it's uh, the true impression uh, as you give on your videos. That's how you are and it's really awesome was to talk to you and touch base on so many different topics that i feel very important in this new era of social media belly dance and uh, uh, reviewing our old stereotypes and uh, challenging let's say our beliefs of uh, what's supposed to be and how what's supposed to happen um, and uh, thank you for being here and sharing your Uh, experience and uh, opinions on different uh, topics i really appreciate oh thank you so much i really appreciate that and thank you for doing this and for asking me to be a part of your podcast and just for giving other dancers this resource of to hear other dancers experiences i think it's very valuable and it's a nice format because they can sit and work on something like you can sit and listen to these while you're hand sewing or just cleaning costumes like it's such a nice resource so thank you for your efforts to provide that to dancers No, oh, my pleasure. It's uh, it's also a great excuse for me to talk to awesome people <laughs> and artists. <laughs> and if I can share it with a, a bigger community, I'm only, only happy about it. Guys, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by yanadance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcasts so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.